This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Everything now has to be, uh, you know, appended to the word self, right? Self-awareness, self-reflection, <laughs> self-care. Yeah. And I hope we don't get to the time when we're talking about self-thanking, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because I think the richness of... But now caring now has become this self-thing too, which yeah, I think maybe yeah. 20 years ago, it would have been pathological to think that, you yeah. know... Care has to be this sort of isolated process, you mm-hmm. know. But who knows, you know, given how we're becoming increasingly atomized, mm. 15 years from now, self-thanking might be the new self-help sort of yeah, trend. You're you your own best friend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before you go to bed, look in the mirror and uh, thank yourself for not yeah, killing yourself. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. you know. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School, the show that explores concepts, theories and society. I'm Ahmad Fawad Rahmat, joined this week on his first solo appearance uh, by Sandy Clark. Welcome back, man. Thanks for having me. I'm grateful to be here. (laughs) Which actually is a good segue into our topic this week, which is the Buddhist notion of gratefulness. But first things first, though, since we've had you here for a few times, why don't we get to know you a bit more? Now, first of all, are you a That's Buddhist? That's a terrifying question. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, am I a Buddhist? I thought I was until I read a biography by a Buddhist monk on great Buddhist meditation master, a guy called Ajahn Mun. And he said that you're not really a Buddhist until you're fully practicing all the, the sort of concepts of Buddhism. Yeah. So it kind of took me down a peg, you know, I yeah. thought because I was eating, you know, minimal meat and sort of meditating once a week, then that was enough, but apparently not. So, right, right. but I, I try my best, yeah. But those are a lot of like concepts to master, yeah. right? It's yeah. like over 2000 year tradition. Yes. I mean, is it even possible? Then? <laughs> yes. Is anybody That's ever a Buddhist? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you, you did spend time at a, I guess, I don't know, was it a monastery? Yeah. What's the term? Is it yeah. called, is I, that called I, a monastery? I spent, I've spent the accumulated amount of six months worth of stays in monasteries and I almost ordained as a Buddhist monk mm-hmm. as well so but you can only eat once a day so <laughs> that was it deal breaker for me <laughs> but on a serious note mm. what eventually quote I guess deterred you I think it was the realization that I wasn't mentally prepared mm-hmm. I think some people and I heard stories about other novice monks who went into the the monastery thinking it was going to be an enlightening experience yeah. within the first week yada 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 and to realize that you know even when I was living in the monastery during my short spells maybe at one month at a time I realized just how challenging it is it's not an easy life uh, yeah. at all but what so makes it so be, challenging other than the one meal a day um, thing I mean you have to really sort of look at yourself honestly and there's no way to escape and Of course, there's the practical aspects of reading all the sutras, becoming familiar with all the concepts, as you mentioned, the 227 rules that you have to live by. But I think for me, the greatest concern at the time was I didn't feel mature enough on a spiritual level to really go into it yeah. to that depth. Yeah. But I mean, now that you're not, and it's been some time that you made that decision, I mean, looking back, it probably wasn't that compelling, maybe. Yeah, probably not. Um, yeah. It was probably I had some maybe some excitement left over to go and pursue other interests in life as well. So there was a mixture of, of factors there, but primarily it was the idea that, wow, this is a really huge commitment. And I spoke to one monk who made that point and said so many people ordain 
and they don't understand what they're getting themselves into. So by thinking through really seriously on the point, I thought, well, maybe I'm better off elsewhere doing things like, you know, spreading the word, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Now, how much of that claim that nobody is actually getting it or nobody's doing it right is substantial? Or is it just, I wouldn't call it a ruse, but it seems to be such a common line of thought among those at the upper echelons of any religious practice that... You know, and I think part of it is protecting their place as well. They earned mm-hmm. place, yeah. right? To say, well, you want to be like me? Well, it's not very easy. Yes. Kid. Yeah. You know, now they probably are not consciously doing that. I mean, like <laughs> consciously excluding people. Yes, but uh-huh. I think on one hand, it acknowledges the depth of the craft. Yeah. But on the, hand, on the other hand, I wonder like, you know, we've had a few meals together with people at the upper echelons. I've talked to them about stuff. They're not that extraordinary either, you know? Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I wonder, like, how do you, what do you make of that, the, the so-called demand of that way of life? There's one monk who put it really well, and he said, and he's um, a monk called Ajahn Giazaro, which many people in Malaysia might know. And he said, it's the equivalent of going into a, a job interview to be a medical doctor. And, you know, the dean of medicine says to you, so what makes you qualified to be a doctor? Well, my mother and father were doctors and their mother and father were doctors. So obviously I'm a doctor, you know, and it's sort of like, so people, when they say they're Christian, they're Buddhist, they're Hindu, whatever, usually it's because their parents or their family or their culture has brought them into that. Mm-hmm. But the point that Ajahn Giazaro was making is that, well, actually, you know, you have to go through a rigorous training before you can claim to be of a certain standard. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a huge difference for me when I think back to when I started getting an, into Buddhism. There's a difference between reading your religion and living it. It's so easy to chant phrases or recite Bible verses or, you know, chapter and verse. But are you actually living those principles and virtues and are you actually striving in the in the right ways? Because a lot of the time religion can become a shield as such, you know, right. a kind of to put yourself in a pedestal or to protect yourself from judgments or criticisms. Right. Right. So to actually authentically live your religion, I think is quite tough. I guess the question I have is, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? In that if I do submit myself to all that mm. that rigor, will I be profoundly transformed, you know? And obviously I, I didn't, <laughs> so I wouldn't really know. But I, I did get a sense that, you know, there's something else going on here. It's not necessarily about truth and enlightenment. Yeah. Uh, it's a kind of working through of maybe our own demons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the past that we're struggling to come to terms with. And that's really what's really driving the perseverance behind yeah, some of these yeah, people yeah. rather than really the end goal, so to speak. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just speculating. But because I have seen extraordinary people who never took those paths, mm-hmm. you know, and they're they're very clear-minded and they're very kind, very nice, and they could exercise all those virtues yeah. without the demands and the stresses of being a monk, yeah. you know, or being a cleric, right? Yeah. So, uh, which, you know, which I guess tells me that life is the best teacher, almost, yes. you know, like, yeah. yeah. I suppose it depends on who you are. I think, mm-hmm. you know, different strokes for different folks. And so I think depending on, so for example, the Buddhist abbot that I studied under, who's a guy called Ajahn Amaro, he's the abbot of Amaravati Monastery in London. And he spoke to, is it Bill Ford, the guy who now runs sort of Ford Motors? Because he would, previous to coming to the UK, Ajahn Amaro was in America. So Bill Ford had said to him, look, you know, how do I cultivate uh, these virtues? How do I become more compassionate? Should I go away in retreats or should I go and like live in a monastery somewhere for a year? And Ajahn Amaro had said to him precisely what you said. Well, 
actually you can learn from your own experiences and your own mm -hmm. circumstances. You don't have to go to the Himalayas or the monasteries to work through your issues, to become more virtuous, to become more of a contributing citizen or whatever it is you're right, aiming to right. do. It's just that some people are kind of drawn towards that path, but you don't have to follow it. Yeah, Sure, sure. You know, all these mentions of teachers and sages and all, it brings us quite straightforwardly to the to the issue at hand here, which yep. is the Buddhist notion of gratefulness. Yep. Now, should we talk about gratefulness first before we get into the Buddhist element of it? Now, how, how would you pitch this? Well, how much time discussion? have you got? <laughs> <laughs> we can lock the doors. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess let's start with just how crucial it is okay. to be grateful. Yeah, sure. So I think um, it seems to me that a great deal of modern psychology or the modern attitude to the world doesn't give enough credence to gratefulness no. or how important it is, right? So what's your thought on that? Well, I think you're right in that people have become more materialistic and individualistic in a sense. In fact, I think one of the ways in which mental health issues have risen over the past decades is because there's less of a collective, communal, sort of mutually supportive network among mm -hmm. people now. And I think, well, I mean, to... to, to explain the, the simple explanation of why Buddha said or explained why gratitude was important. He said it was just simply the mark of civilization. It's what keeps societies basically running. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's such a, an underrated virtue and we don't recognize the benefits of gratitude. We think that it's just a matter of, you know, feeling grateful and then leaving it there without any thought for what it actually does for us and for other people. And so I think it's a massively underrated quality. Yeah. So what does it do? What does it do? Well, so to sort of mix up what the Buddhist perspective has taught with modern research, I mean, it, gratitude, first of all, helps you to enrich your relationships. Mm -hmm. If you're really grateful towards someone who has benefited you in some way, who has gone out their way to support you, whether it be financially or emotionally, that strengthens your connection with that person because they see that you're really grateful for them. And plus the fact that you're then not obligated, mm -hmm. but you're desiring to then pay back to them whatever you can give in turn. Yeah. And so when you have that kind of dynamic within your network, then it grows, you know, these kind of strong, authentic bonds as opposed to one that's predicated on obligation, right, uh, right. you know. It also can increase your self-esteem because I think some research has suggested that people who are who are less grateful than others tend to focus more on resentment, envy, those kind of emotions. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're grateful for what you have instead of what you wish you could have, then you stop focusing on your negative emotions. It's more positive. So you become more pro-social. You... Actually, there's been some research to suggest that more grateful people sleep better. Yeah, so it's yeah. better for your physical, psychological health. And it, it helps you to cut down on rumination. How can I be better in my life? Where am I going wrong? You know, so you focus on all the, the good stuff that you have in life. And because of that, I mean, the Buddhist perspective is that when you focus on gratitude and that helps to cultivate these kind of positive emotions, then you're more likely to cultivate the circumstances that leads to the stuff that you want right. rather than right. to kind of... It's sort of, I suppose, parallel to the idea of law of attraction. You know, it's that idea that if you focus on what you don't want, then you're not going to get it, you right, know. But right. if you kind of open yourself up and, you know, the idea is that you open yourself up to more opportunities right, by being right. grateful and by being thankful. Sure. I think uh, that's a good way to to explain how, what happens, right, when we do give thanks and when we do express thanks. But I'm actually also curious about how it works as a frame of mind or a way of living and relating, you know, where 
uh, I find it awkward too when there's too much tanking. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you open a door and then there's, you know, imagine that sort of, I, I can't remember the film, but there was this film where I think they were making fun of Canadians or something. And then like every <laughs> single nice gesture yeah. is accompanied by like this like overture of thanks, yes. right? That would be awkward too, yeah. right? And I think the sort of healthier ways I've seen gratefulness demonstrated is the sense of context that, yes. that it's aware of, right? In a sense where if I'm really tight with somebody, like a close friend, right? The gratefulness is already woven into the dynamic, yeah. right? Where there's no need for aligning anything, mm-hmm. right? So he, if he or she does something for me, I do something back to him or her, it's already presumed that thankfulness is already operating, yeah. right? Whereas I think uh, there is also a place for the more ceremonial forms of thanking, right? Mm-hmm. Which maybe the Raya Haji that Muslims just celebrated a few days ago is meant to emphasize, right? That, okay, there's a personal dimension to it, but it's also these things we need to do just to, to remind everybody the need to be thankful, yeah, right? Yeah. So how does one transition then? You know what I mean? From the kind of active consciousness of the need to declare thanks and just sort of assuming that it's already like in your bones almost, you know, like maybe this is what Buddha was experiencing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he was just always already in that yeah, state yeah, of yeah, mind, you know, yeah. maybe that's uh, years of seminary uh, will lead you to that. But yeah, I mean, talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. You have that idea of thanking everyone for everything. It's like, thank you for holding the door open for me. Thank you for walking through the door for yeah. me to thank give Thank you for not yeah. killing me today. Yeah, thank you for spitting yeah, my face, yeah. right? It, it, gets, it gets very neurotic. At that I mean, I, I think the, the, the key is authenticity. It's like apologizing. If you just throw out a, I'm sorry for whatever, but you don't really feel right. it, then it doesn't have any value. It's only really superficial. And so to experience gratitude in the level you're talking about between friends, but it needs to to be a kind of conscious, active sort of virtue in a sense, because if you're friends with someone, if you're quite tight with someone, you might start to take that for granted. Mm-hmm. So you're doing the thing for your friend because, well, they did something for right, you. That's right. more that kind of appreciation rather than gratitude, which is a kind of deeper sense of, of recognition that someone has gone out their way to help you. Yeah. And I think this is where the difference is, right, between thanking and gratitude, yeah. right? Gratitude being a sense of the world almost, right? Like you are really at peace with what you have, mm. right? Which is not, like you said, you know, modern society tells us that we never have enough, yep. right? And gratitude is actually very radical when you think about it, the sense that, you know, I'm actually enough, what I have is enough, and I can desire without that sort of frantic panic that yep. modern society sort of pushes you to. Yeah, right? sure. And let's end on that distinction so that we can unpack it further in the second part of the show where we are with Sandy Clark to talk to us about what Buddhists might have to say about Thankfulness and gratitude, or Buddha, or the Buddhist sort of tradition. <laughs> uh, and I'm Amat Fat Rahman on Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, you're listening to me, Ahmad Fat Rahman, with regular friend of the show, Sandy Clark, to talk about gratefulness and the Buddhist conceptions of it. In the first part of the show, we got to know a bit about our guests and distinguish two, I guess, expressions of gratitude, which might be, I guess, the commonplace mundane forms of thanking that we partake in or we receive on a day-to-day basis. But of course, gratitude in a state of mind more broadly, right? I guess one of the concerns that informed my understanding of this topic is that there's a way in which gratitude could be misconstrued as a form of defeatism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Where the line between being grateful and settling, Mm-hmm. Is, is quite blurred, right? Where there's a part of me that likes excellence, that likes 
to see people thriving yeah. and doing doing better or breaking records and limits, right? Which mm-hmm. requires a certain sort of insanity in mm-hmm. a way, yeah. right? The sense that you can keep pushing yourself, yeah. right? And that's a kind of restlessness that may not accord with the picture of gratitude that mm-hmm. you describe. So how would you tell the difference between them? Well, I think, yeah, gratitude is a bit like mindfulness or emotional intelligence, which can sometimes be sort of so stretched beyond definition that, you know, it, the meaning becomes indistinguishable and mm-hmm. it becomes all a, a big mush. But for example, so you take someone like Michael Phelps, the swimmer who won, I think it was 23 gold medals in the Olympics or some insane achievement like that. And at 23 or something, yeah, very yeah, young. it yeah. was insane. Mm-hmm. So... When we have gratitude, it's not so much that we necessarily need to settle for what we have, but the idea behind gratitude is that you are so thankful for the opportunities that you have, that the, the skills that you have, the capacities that you have, the people that you have, that you can build on that. But it's just maintaining that sense of, I'm not doing this alone. So, like, for example, Michael Phelps will have his teams, mm-hmm. his nutritionist, his coaches, etc. So, you know, no man is an island kind of thing. Yeah. And so you can still keep pushing yourself. Gratitude doesn't really call so much for settling as more you know, using whatever you have to make the best of yourself, to help other people make the best of themselves, but keeping in mind that is a collaborative effort in that sense. Right, right. Yeah, and on that note as well, the sort of clarity that gratitude reveals allows us to also appreciate our gifts more, mm. right? In a sense where if you're constantly searching, or you're constantly trying to nurse your desires or something like that, the problem becomes when you can't stay put enough to actually go deep. Yeah. Right. Because you're actually being enticed towards different possibilities. Mm-hmm. Right. That is harder to be grateful. I think there's a sense of depth that gratefulness points to. Yeah. Right. The yeah. sense that there's something you can indulge in or delve in. Mm-hmm. Right. That need not be distracted by the next sort of thing that that is going to be dangled at you. Yeah. Right? Uh, so it's a really interesting attitude of possession, almost. Right. That, yeah. That runs contrary to what quote-unquote possession means in a capitalist society where everything is dispensable for something yeah. next, yeah. the next best thing, right? And this this filters into friendships and intimacy and stuff like that as well, right? I mean, it's not just our attitude to things necessarily anymore, mm-hmm. but people in general. But gratitude says, well, hold up, you know, savor it a bit more, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. And that's one thing I find very empowering about it. I think of the some of the business leaders that I've I've met over the years and, and some of the politicians back home, one of the ways for me in which leaders across the board distinguish themselves as effective leaders is that they take that time to go deep and to savor and to not even to slow down, but just to keep in mind that idea of they're grateful of their position. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, even when we're talking here, for example, I mean, we have the privilege of being able to have this conversation to hopefully maybe inspire or help someone learn something new. Um, and thank so, you, so, so yeah. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, so, um, but you know, so, so you have that idea of, just keeping in the forefront of your mind that, look, I'm really privileged to be here yeah. and for what I have. So again, it's yeah, you can go deep with the gratitude and the deeper you go, the better. And it does help you. In fact, some studies have suggested that you know, grateful people live happier and longer lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they take that time to slow down and just be grateful, the work is always out there. New opportunities are always out there. So if you just take a few minutes to reflect and to count your blessings and to even sometimes even on a daily basis, I'll 
I'll sort of write down stuff that I'm grateful for, just to kind of remind me of the stuff that, you know, stop chasing so much. Be grateful for what you have at the moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wonder too how much of it should be tied or anchored to the uglier emotions we feel like fear, mm. you know? So on one hand, fear puts us in a very, you know, unsettled place, right? Because mm. we're constantly like grappling to feel safe and that could be all sorts of different things people turn to, you know, different poisons to just kind of cope. But on one hand, I do find that it's sort of essential in order to cultivate the gratitude that you talk about, right? Yeah. Because what gratitude signals is the fragility of things mm-hmm. in general, right? The yeah. reason why we need to go deep, as you describe, or the reason why we do need to slow down mm-hmm. is to note the transitory nature of things. Yeah. That, you know, good deeds should be celebrated because, I mean, the presumption being that there are evil people out there too, right? Yeah. So this can lead to two things. The first is a very secure dwelling in your gratitude, mm-hmm. right? That you can take a deep breath, you can exhale, and you can really affirm what you have. Yeah. But this can also be the sort of frantic gratitude that we talked about, right? Yeah. Well, I'm glad a piano didn't land on me today or mm-hmm. I'm glad, like, <laughs> you know, and the, the worst part of it is that, like, you drive down the street and you see a poor person it's like, man, I'm glad, I'm thankful I'm not him, Yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, which is the darker side of gratitude, right? Yeah. And I don't want to distinguish it so much because I think it comes from the same sort of yeah. impulse, right? Yeah. That the need to really hold on to what we have and really savor it comes from the fact that things could easily not be otherwise, right? Yeah. Or, or do, you, do you see them as necessarily separable is there a form of gratitude that's perverted you know, no i, 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 I think yep. your uh, description is spot on and I, I think like happiness and suffering you know these types of gratitude can be two sides of the same coin so for example i'm extremely grateful for the people in, in my life certainly family members here who give me you know so much support and so much help whenever it's needed and so you know i, I have that space to take the breath and to be really thankful for that to know that everything that i am now i didn't get to hear nor am i going where i'm going to be without the help of these people But at the same time, when I do see someone who's in trouble or has maybe met with an accident or something like that, there is that kind of gratitude of, you know, there but the grace of God go I. It's it's that appreciation that, you know, you're both within that moment living the, the same reality in that moment, but you're experiencing it in different ways, you know, so I'm going to something like coming here to do the, the show while somebody's waiting to be picked up because their car has just, you know, been torpedoed. Mm-hmm. So there is that kind of double-sided coin to gratitude, I think. Yeah. Well, on that point too, what would you say to, I guess, to my more radical friends who assert that, you know, gratitude is a bourgeois emotion, you know, that, you know, it comes from all this obsession with the art of gratitude is really like, it's really only a reflection among the privileged, right? Because people who are oppressed, people who actually have their their whole lives pressed against the wall don't have the luxury to really indulge in gratitude. What do you say to that? I mean, there, there is a valid argument there to suggest that, that gratitude may be a, a luxury emotion, but sometimes when you see these charity programs on TV, like, for example, in the UK on an annual basis, we have Comic Relief, which is a kind of movement that helps to raise funds for third world countries. And so you see some of these kids in these countries and they're really happy when they receive sort of simple foods or water or medications. 
and they look more happier than the people in the UK, you know, who have an abundance because these people appreciate everything that they have, whereas we tend not to. We want that more and more and more. So I think actually gratitude, when you strip it away, is just a fundamental emotion and, and, and quality that people have who really appreciate what they get in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it's so much a, a bourgeois uh, emotion. I think there can be instances where people, um, you know, you see the Instagram posts of, you know, someone posting a, a yogurt bowl on Instagram or something. And it's yeah. like, oh, I'm so grateful for the sunshine this morning and the great balcony view and my life is so blessed. Yeah, things like that are kind of <laughs> you know, taking it to decadence. But I think authentic gratitude is is such a fundamental quality for for the human condition. Oh, I think the other problem, I I, I might disagree with your example a bit, but, you know, for the sake of discussion, I see where you're coming from. But the other problem as well with a lot of the more, the trenchant radical critiques is that they expect too much from gratitude in a way. Like it's not, you know, to me it's essential, Mm. right? But it's just a baseline work Mm -hmm. for the cultivation of other aspects of your personality, right? It doesn't, plug in the void or anything like that yeah, you know it no. helps orient yeah. certain outlooks and you know you might even be a better radical when mm-hmm. you're thankful for the kinds of activism <laughs> you know uh, you can you're allowed yeah. to do yeah. right for example so it's not necessarily like uh, it doesn't close off discussions on how things could be better I yeah, mean going yeah. back to what we discussed earlier when you're sober about the strengths you have you are more able to measure how far you can go and plan better that way, yeah. right? So a lot of it is just, to me, refining your perspective mm-hmm. in such a way that you can see better and therefore make better decisions. I also find that it's very important to show thanks. Yeah. Like, and this is not necessarily something that comes naturally to people mm-hmm. because you got to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, the person that you want to show thanks to has his or her own preference and you mm-hmm. know how to receive thanks and stuff yeah. like that so again this comes back to maybe contextual literacy or emotional awareness yeah but i think it's, it's worthwhile cultivating that skill and this is where a lot of the social rituals right mm-hmm. around thankfulness is actually very helpful because it brings people together and actually tells people look it's okay you know i i hate that this has become a phrase too but it's okay to show thanks yeah, right i yeah. mean I don't know when it didn't become okay, but nowadays it's like, it's okay not to feel okay. It's okay yeah. to show emotions become a thing now. Yeah. But anyway, let's just frame it in these terms, yeah. right? It shouldn't be that awkward for you mm-hmm. to to actually look at somebody in the eye and just, you know, hold a hand or yeah. not and show thanks, yeah. right? And But for a lot of people that comes as awkward or that comes mm-hmm. as like weird or whatever, yeah. you know? And I get people like that sometimes WhatsApping me. It's like, I'm just in the middle of the day now thinking of you. I just really want to let you know I'm very thankful for our friendship. Even me, I find that weird. It's like, hey, what happened? You know, are you okay? Which bot <laughs> Who stole your, your phone? phone? Yeah. <laughs> so, but then I kind of put my defenses down a bit and yeah. go, actually, this is very sweet. Yeah. Let me just, you know, soak in it. Yeah. There's a great story about the Dalai Lama who was receiving some well-wishers at a talk that he was giving. And of course, people were furnishing him with all sorts of kind of gifts. And this old woman came, she was very poor and handed him, I think it was a skirt. It was a skirt that she'd made handmade and she gave it to him. It was the only sort of valuable possession that she had to give. And someone kind of criticized him and said, look, you've got all these gifts. Why are you taking this valuable thing from this old lady? Clearly she needs it more than you. And so the Dalai Lama said, it's not that I need to receive the gift, it's that she needs to give. And I thought that was quite a nice touch Mm -hmm. in that 
when we deny people who are thanking us, who are expressing gratitude towards us, when we say, oh, it's nothing, don't worry about it, or, you know, what's wrong with you? Mm. We're kind of denying them that chance to give, and that in itself is our generosity to them sometimes. But I think we kind of overlook that. And I think it comes back to the point you made earlier about, you know, when we say thanks, it's such a superficial thing and it's too much of it. I think what people are now starting to realise is that, you know, to really express thankfulness for people who are in their lives who give them so much. I mean, certainly I'm very grateful for you guys to allow me to come in here to talk about these topics. And, you know, it gives me a lot of food for thought when I go back home, which is great. And so... You know, it's like when you, you know, you maybe break up with someone or you lose a friend or whatever and you say, oh, I should have done this differently. I should have said this. So I think maybe more people now are realizing, look, while I've got the chance, I want to let this person know, you know, what they're doing for me and how appreciative I am of that. And it does lead to sort of vulnerability. It takes a lot of strength to become grateful in a proper sense, I think. I think so too. But I also think the necessary structures have to be there so that the strength could be developed, right? Mm-hmm. In that we live in such smaller units now. Yeah. I mean, spatially, on one hand, I think that's a given. More and more people are preferring studio apartments yeah. now. Globally as well, at least in the developed industrial world, family units are becoming smaller as well. And, and this limits or restricts the scope of thanking to be between individuals. Yeah. Whereas I think the benefit of living in Malaysia is that you see a greater spectrum of gratitude, mm-hmm. right? First to your immediate partner and then to families and then to the bigger network of kin. Yeah. And then, of course, to the community more broadly, right? The sense that you are a continuum across these different spaces and these different traditions. Yeah. Enriches our capacity to give thanks than, say, if you're just like living somewhere expensive in New York City in a one-bedroom apartment with just another partner you're not even sure you want to marry yet because of like whatever, whatever, you know, that sort of like Uh liberal single-person neurosis, right? Mm -hmm. The capacity to give thanks is is much more restricted and thereby restricting your capacity to grow too. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think that's the point the Buddha makes in his teachings that, you know, gratitude enables you. In fact, gratitude is, like you mentioned, in Buddhism, gratitude is a foundational beginnings of the teaching. So from gratitude and generosity, everything else is is built upon. So it doesn't plug the void, but it's a sort of step one, if you like, because people who, as you see, are are quite kind of inward looking in a sense, they become less happy in life because they don't kind of look beyond themselves or look beyond their own front door. And it's when you can cultivate that gratitude, that sense of thankfulness, that you kind of feel a part of everything, you know? So, I mean, you look at somewhere like New York and everyone's just burling down the street and not looking at anyone except their phones. Whereas here in Malaysia, there is more of a sort of connectivity. And you see between families, between friends, just sort of hanging out and enjoying each other's company. Whereas back home in the UK or the US, there's usually a purpose to meeting up with someone and then you do your thing and then you go home or you go to malls just to shop and then you go home. Whereas here, there's a lot of people who hang around, enjoy some time together, you know, and I think that's such an important thing. Yeah, to have that option, right? And again, this is a common theme in our show. People are frustrating, but these are frustrations that actually might compel us to think about gratitude more in different ways. (laughs) Because I think it's important to see that these forms of expression evolve too. You know, people want or might have different expectations on what thanking and receiving thanks might be, right, as society evolves too. You know, one of the things we discussed maybe when you were on the show with Sarah was about the sort of self-centered culture, right, where Mm -hmm. everything now has to be 
uh, you know, appended to the word self, right? Self-awareness, self-reflection, <laughs> self-care. Yeah. And I hope we don't get to the time when we're talking about self-thanking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I think the richness of... But now caring now has become this self-thing too, which yeah. I think maybe yeah. 20 years ago, it would have been pathological to think that, you yeah. know, care has to be this sort of isolated process, you mm-hmm. know, but... Who knows, you know, given how we're becoming increasingly atomized, mm. 15 years from now, self-thanking might be the new self-help sort of yeah, trend. You're you your own best friend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before you go to bed, look in the mirror and uh, thank yourself for not yeah, killing yourself yeah. yet, that kind of thing, yeah. you know. So, but because that's where it seems we're socialized to become, right? More self-possessive, smaller and smaller units and, you know, living in our heads. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think this is the problem with these kind of concepts that originally aren't meant to be isolating. So, for example, people say that if you practice mindfulness, you become more inward looking, which can be the case if you approach it in the wrong way. Self-care, I think, is more about taking that time to slow down, sure, taking sure. that time to come was, out from the, the hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, go on. Yeah, but no, but I, th- I think some people will have that idea of self-care being a selfish thing, you know, because it is sometimes so misapplied or so misunderstood. So I think your point is quite right. But I think it's how you approach these things, especially with gratitude. It's what you give to it that you get back out. But also that you can see, it's a bit like the analogy is that, you know, you put your own oxygen mask on in the plane before you help someone else mm-hmm. put theirs on. So it's that idea that right, if you're right. burning out, you can't be of service to anybody else. So that idea of self-care or mindfulness, for example. So you do mindfulness meditation, you become a kinder person, you become more focused, you become calmer. So therefore, you become more agreeable to other people, more beneficial to other people. Uh, You become more pro-social. So the kind of looking after yourself first, but in order to then pay it back or pay it forward, whereas some people just kind of Keep it in, you know, and I I think that's a distinction between the two approaches. Yeah, point taken too. And I think the giving out thing is a very crucial component, right? What is this out that we want to give to, right? What's the world that we have to face? Mm -hmm. And if the world is such that the individual is always sovereign, Mm -hmm. then the limits of giving are quite substantial too, right? Um, I mean, I grew up in Sha'alam, you know, and I can remember like up to maybe nine or ten. It wouldn't be weird for somebody to just show up at your house asking you how you're doing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Whereas now it's like egregious, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But that was the sort of upbringing I had for a while. And it mm-hmm. wasn't even like a village or whatever. It's like a standard middle class sort of neighborhood. Yeah. You know, where uh, it would be weird if you don't know what your neighbor is up to. But it's, it's not, you know, liberals would frame this in terms of like encroachment of privacy or whatever. But it's just a matter yeah. of like knowing your surroundings, mm-hmm. you know. But that is already gone. So it's interesting as we observe you know, a lot of these virtues and how it requires a broader infrastructure of giving and receiving, mm-hmm. right? How much of that is being limited given the distinct ways in which we're socialized to live, right? Yeah, yeah. Alone, mostly, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. That's, that's what modernity does. I mean, I think criticism of both, uh, say, conservatism and liberalism is that they both kind of go to other extremes. So liberalism kind of focuses on, you know, let's let's do everything and, and, and make everything permissible, whereas conservatives are more kind of let's draw boundaries at every single thing and it's right. all about the individual. Right. But as you say, you you know, that kind of idea restricts or limits the idea of giving. But for people who believe, you know, individual and responsibility for your own life and everything's your own choice, and it's like, well, how did you get to where you are? Yeah. You yeah. know, did you build the house that you grew up in? Did you cook the food or did you grow the food did that you... Did you build you, the roads, you, right? Yeah, the did you build the roads? Yeah, yeah. The, the so, so, so you can't really kind of... Just, where's the line drawn 
you know, so when you talk about government, for example, where is the line drawn between what the government should provide and what it shouldn't? Because you can't say, well, it's all about the individual and free enterprise and free markets and, you know, individual choice. But the government then has to supply this, 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 but yeah. not this. It's like, well, where, where did you draw? How did you draw that line? That's true. Yeah. That's true. In any case, thanks again, Sandy Clark, for giving us a good view of the notion of thankfulness and how Buddhists have approached it over the years. Uh, any final concluding thoughts before we wrap up? I just think that gratitude is something that, as I say, is very underrated and that people should look into cultivating more of it. It can feel quite vulnerable at the start, but like you say, if you receive messages from people saying, how are you, or I'm really thankful to have you in my life or whatever, then you'll try to practice that sort of quality of allowing people to give so that they can express their gratitude and in turn you can then cultivate gratitude through there as well. Yeah, and I think on that point too, we should pause at how natural we feel about taking than we do about giving, yeah. right? We're organized in such a way that our default mode is to think about, okay, what's in it for me? What can I take rather than what can I give, right? So yeah, food for thought. How can we reach you? Are you on Twitter, Instagram? I'm on Twitter at Real S. Clark, and I'm also on LinkedIn as well. But I'd like to give a shout out to a friend of mine who's always a regular friend to the show as well, Dr. Eugene T. He's authored a book called Of Bromances and Biting Cute Babies. It's co-authored with Dr. Choi C. Leng. And it gives a, a great insight into joy, happiness, gratitude and other emotional questions that you might have. So that's in bookstores now if people want to look out for that. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sandy. You can also email the show, bfmnightschool.gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook at BFM Night School as well. Download our app at the Apple App Store. Once again, I'm Ahmad Fat Rahmat. Join the suite by Sandy Clark. And this is Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.